Well, good morning. It's an honor and a privilege to get to open the Word of God with you this morning. And I, I just uh, I appreciate the heart of worship. And I'm telling you, every week, when I talk to my friends who are in ministry, and they're asking me about how it's going at the church, I always lead with, man, you got to hear these people sing. It's uncommon and it's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful to stand at the front and to, to hear the saints of God singing together. And you'll look around this morning and you'll see that we are beginning to fill up, but we're not full even though it feels full. So what I'm going to ask some of you guys to do is we're, we want to talk about being missional, thinking, thinking about who God's sending to us, those who are lost and all and those who are not connected to a church, one thing, one simple way that you can be missional on a Sunday morning is moving towards the front. Guests generally come in at when things are on time, like they're coming in on time or a little bit late, and to come into a room and feel like there's no place for me, well, that tells them there's no place for them, but I see 70 or 80 chairs almost, like in the room. So one way that you, you can be missional is Come sit by Miss Marcia, and, 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 uh, but come, come forward because there, there's plenty of opportunities for people to, to be able to, to, to sit down. So that's just one thing because, you know, you come in during worship, everybody's standing up and you can't find a seat. So that's, that's a, just a house cleaning and, and an opportunity for you to be thinking about who God's sending to us because we're praying for that. Also, y'all need to understand this week, you don't notice it in here really, but um, we, we approve the, 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 uh, the, not internet upgrade, the, the technology upgrade. You Thank you very much. And Brandon and his team, they've been in here working all week, and uh, those things don't just happen. And uh, again, that's an opportunity to be missional. You're like, why did we do all this? Well, one, we've got people who are uh, homebound. It's a way that they can still be plugged into the church. But also, here's the deal. I, I, at the church I was coming from, I, I, I was the intake process for people coming into the church. I'm like, hey, tell me when, when the first time you came was. And what I found out is they generally were following us for about six or seven weeks before they ever came through the door. Your, your, your internet space, the, the, the services are essentially your, your new foyer, and we want the foyer to be nice and clean so that they have a good, uh, they, they, they know who we are instead of like, man, what? Because I'm telling you, we're, when you come in the room, you're like, these people are worshiping. They're getting after it. So that's just a little housekeeping. So if you will, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this time. God, you are so gracious to us. singing with the saints is good for my heart. God, I, I, I praise you for each and every person here this morning. God, and I just pray that you would use this time to, to speak to our hearts through your spirit and that you would open our eyes to, to what's true. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're starting a new series out of Galatians. We're calling the series Captivated by Christ. I love this letter because what Paul's doing is he's laying out the gospel. That's, that's, that's what this letter does. 
and, and the promises that go with the gospel. And as we're starting uh, together anew, afresh, y'all, y'all have been working here for a long time, but I'm partnering with you. I, I felt like that was just as good a place as anywhere to start. We, we're, we are gospel-centered people, so let's, let's start with the gospel, right? So we, we're going to find in this study that we're no longer held captive by the law. Instead, we've been freed from the, the law and sin, and we are freed by Christ, and we get to now live captivated by his love. So in Galatians, what's going on is we see a false gospel or a heresy occur, and it occurs by them making minor things major things. And they subtly add their worldview um, to the gospel for a person to really be saved. And we, we've all experienced people who, who have this extra thing for people to, oh, this is the gospel, but you really, this, this really makes you saved. This really makes you one of us. And God is going to use Paul to both rebuke the church as well as, in love, call them back to orthodoxy. So when we read, we need to, <clears throat> when we read and interpret, we, we need to remember that context is key, Right? Context is the key to unlocking the author's intent. The author's intent is more important than what we feel or how we take a passage, right? Like if, if I were to write a love letter to my wife, or let's say, uh, and, and I say, I could never love anyone else, and she just takes, uh, I could never love you. You know how, how we take the Bible and we just pull things out? Well, no, the author's intent matters. And ultimately, who's the author of Scripture? God's the author of Scripture. (laughs) So it's important because he's speaking to a specific group of people at a specific time with a specific set of problems and a specific set of cultural understandings. So though, though the message is timeless, and it's timely for us today, it was not first written to 21st century Texans. So context, like I said, it drives meaning. So we're going to spend some time doing that. And and one more kind of illustration on that is, so I went to seminary in Fort Worth. Uh, Thank you for your contributions to the Southern Baptist Convention. You you contributed to my education. Thank you very much. Um, But the seminary is in the ghetto. Like, it's like gang-infested. It's not one of these things where it's like, oh, it's the city. No, it's literally gang-infested. It's, it's not a good place. So the campus is nice and pretty and safe, but, like, the area is bad. So at any given time at night, you could hear gunshots. So hearing gunshots in a gang-infested city, the context dictates that you get down and you hide or you go inside, right? Well, we recently uh, moved into our new beautiful home on Eagle Canyon, if, you, if you're not aware, it's out by the river. It's, it's very nice out there. It's quiet. Um, in the three weeks we've led, lived there, I've heard at least 10 times the gunshots that I did in the six years in, in Fort Worth. Now, not one time have I ducked and covered. Matter of fact, last night I was unloading the, the groceries from the car, and I swear to you I heard somebody unload about seven rounds of AR, like, like clips of AR, and it's like, Whoa, 
But I did not have that same sense of you better do something because we live on the river, people are hunting, people have gun ranges, all these things. Context is the key to in understanding that situation, right? Even though both of them are gunshots that you can't see. So this morning, we're gonna spend quite a bit of our time understanding and creating context for the book of Galatians as we set the scene. Um, as, we, as we look at the introduction um, Paul, the words Paul's using, we're going to find who's speaking. It's going to be Paul, who he's speaking to, and we're going to be led in on the particular occasion or the particular reason that Paul's doing this. So understanding uh, the context, it's going to help us unlock meaning that we may miss in just a quick devotion in the morning or just a quick read through. So like I said, we're going to spend quite a bit of time doing that. So in our passage this morning, we're going to see Paul's, here's, here's our three points. First, verses one and two, we're going to see Paul's God-given calling to preach. Second, Paul's Christ-centered message, that's going to be in verses four through five. You don't have to hurry and write these down, they'll be on the screen for you later. And then third, we're going to see Paul's rebuke to those who've perverted the gospel in verses six through ten. So here's the main point. It's on the screen if you're a note taker. This, this is the point for the passage this morning. We are to preach and preserve the gospel in a world that wishes to pervert it. That's what, that's what Paul's doing. The, the, most, the most dangerous false gospels are the ones that are really close to the truth. So let's, let's read our text together. Verses, we'll read verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God. And Father. Verse 5. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As I've said before, so I say now again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For I am not, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. So the first thing that we're going to look at in this passage is his God-given calling in verses 1 through 2. So you'll notice that the tone of this letter is immediately different than most of Paul's letters. In Galatians 1, 1, Paul starts the letter by asserting his authority 
to that church or to those churches because he's about to rebuke them quite harshly. So let's look at verse one again. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Why would Paul start the letter this way? Well, later as we read the book, we're gonna find that Paul's, um, his apostleship is being challenged. You'll remember that in the book of Acts, by chapter 15, um, you know, the church has really grown, it's really expanded, it's went, uh, it's went all across the Roman Empire, it's went down into Africa, it's went, it's went over into Asia Minor, and cer certain issues start to arise. How are we going to answer these issues? Well, they, they start looking back to kind of the, the original church, the church in Jerusalem, the church of Antioch, and Peter... James and John, um, they, they rise to the top kind of as the leaders, these, these apostles. They, they, so all of these people, uh, Paul names in this letter as well. So there's a group who claim that they're actually sent by James, the half-brother of Jesus, to, to the churches of Galatia. Now, Paul never says that that's happened, but that's the claim that these guys are making to spread their false gospel. These people, they're also attacking Paul's character and diminishing the message that he preached. So kind of setting the scene. So Paul, remember, he's, he's really the missionary. The other apostles kind of aren't. There are a couple of them really go out, but, but Paul's different. Paul, in his first missionary journey, he shows up to Galatia. And it's the southern region of Galatia. You've heard the Gauls. That's, that's kind of... They, they moved and they settled there in, in the Roman Empire. And Paul, he goes and he's sharing the gospel from city to city. People come to Christ. They lead more people to Christ. He sets up a church. Boom, next city. Goes, preach the gospel, gets beat up, preaches the gospel a little bit more, sets up a church, goes to the next city. That, that's, kind of, that's kind of his, 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 his way. So, the, they, they believe that these congregations, they being scholars, they, they believe that these congregations are made up of Jews and Gentiles, but because of the area, probably mostly Gentiles. Um, now, again, you may not find this information particularly exciting. I mean, like, I've, I've been reading uh, backgrounds for two weeks, and it's like, this isn't the most exciting stuff, but what it's doing is it's, it's painting the scene for when Paul's answering these different problems that we're going to find in the, in the text. So let's, let's look again at verse 1. So Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. This tone is, is agitated, how he's saying it. First, what, what Paul does is he, he declares his authority because he's about to tear into them. Paul says, I am an apostle. Now, simply the word apostle means sent one. So, you know, technically we're all sent ones, but the idea is he's been sent by Jesus. So there are, um, there are only 11, or the, the ones who get to hold the office of apostle, let's say it like this. The ones who hold the office of apostle were those who were sent by the resurrected Jesus. So you've got the 11, it's a, it's a very limited group, and they have what we call, um, they have what we call in the church apostolic authority. So you've got the 11 that Jesus spoke to on the, 
the mountain um, right when he gave the Great Commission and he ascended into heaven. And then Paul, on his way to kill some Christians on the roadside to Damascus, he meets Jesus, and there Jesus calls him out. Now, these, these Judaizers who were opposing him, he's, they're saying, hey, we're from James. And Paul's saying, well, or, you're from James. I'm from Jesus. Like, Jesus trumps James. Listen to me. So let's, no, we, we, we won't talk about that. We, we kind of cleared it up. All right, so let's look at verses two here. So verse two. So we know who, who it is. It's Paul speaking. He's an apostle of Jesus. He holds this apostolic authority. He wasn't sent from man. He wasn't sent through man. Man didn't lead him to Christ. Jesus led him to Christ. Man didn't uh, lay his hands to sin on him. Je Jesus sent him, so he's, he's, He's different than, than these people who are opposing. So this is who he's talking to in verse two. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, it's not clear who Paul's talking about to those who are with me. Now, it could have been his, his band of merry men. So we're talking about like the guys like Titus and Timothy and, and Barnabas. But whenever he wrote letters, generally he had people who agreed with him and he would name it. And some scholars believe this, and it would make sense. I'm going to say it would make sense. I'm not going to die on this hill. But that he also got confirmation from the church at Antioch because they're all named like, hey, and these guys agree with me too, and we're sending it to you. So either way, um, how, 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 whoever these people are, this is written by believers to a group of believers and his welcome to the Galatian church is not like the warm welcomes that we find in, in Ephesus. Ephesus opens. And Ephesus has a heresy too going on, by the way. Ephesus opens to the faithful saints in Ephesus. Paul never calls these cats faithful. Normally in his book, he opens with a, a, a prayer and then a thanksgiving and some sort of doxology about the beauty and, and, and deity of Jesus and God. He, he does that, but there's no thanksgiving, and the prayer is just real short. Instead, he, he launches into the curse. Like, he, it opens up with a curse. So this, this letter is just very different all around than any of his other letters. So in, in the middle of Paul getting ready to, to, to rip into him, he does drop one of these beautiful doxologies as well as a prayer blessing for them. So let's read verses three through four. And this is where we're gonna see a Christ-centered message. And this is the outline for the gospel that he preaches the whole way through the book. So verse three. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the, from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul jumps into this short prayer, and this is, this is important, I think, that we notice this. The way that Paul attacks this perverted gospel, that the Judaizers, that's, that's who these people from James, that's what he later calls them, um, how, how he attacks that message is with a clear preaching and presentation of the gospel. We don't have to rip everybody for everything. We need to give 
clear presentations of what the gospel is as an attack against what the gospel isn't. So he, he asks for grace and peace for the Galatian church. And look, Paul desperately wants the grace and peace. These are manifest giftings of the Spirit on those people's lives. And Paul desperately wants that for these people that he's writing this letter to. But the reality is believers can be taken captive. He's writing this to believers. And believers can be taken captive by false gospels and, 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 and philosophies of this world. For example, Colossians 2, 6 says this. It should be on the screen. Oh, maybe the screen went down. So we'll have to flip over there. I'll give you a second. So Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceits according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So that's saying we as believers, we can get wrapped up in stuff that's messed up if we're not rooted and grounded in the gospel. And even those of us who are rooted and grounded, sometimes what we do is we just get real passionate and real hot about something, and, and we let our guards down, and we start getting taken captive by philosophies that are not of the word. So yeah, we affirm the priesthood of the believer. That we, we affirm that, but we do not affirm the infallibility of the believer. As a matter of fact, believers make wrong interpretations. Peter, you remember Peter, right? He's the one who makes the confession of Christ. Well, this cat, he, he's, he's standing there, he makes the confession, and Jesus says, you know, the gates of hell won't overtake this confession. In this book, he's named. He, he, he names him Peter the first time, Cephas the second time, and Paul has to go face-to-face and toe-to-toe with Peter because Peter's wrapped up in this same Judaizer mess. So we don't say the, the, the infallibility of the believer, we, we, but we do na- affirm the priesthood of the believer. And because they were caught up in all this mess, they were missing out on the promises of God. This church was missing out on the blessings of God because they were engulfed by religiosity. I think many of us are bent towards legalism. I know I am. I like rules because it lets me know exactly what I'm supposed to do. And I think often we're very willing to trade the freedom that God has given us and the freedom God has given others for what we've been handed down and maybe for things that just seem right to us. And that's, that's this religiosity that we might find in, in our circles because that's exactly the religiosity found there. You know, they're, they're saved, but they're Jews, and then they're trying to force their Judaism and the parts of it that aren't even biblical on these Gentile believers to make them really saved, really one of us. So let's, let's look back at verse 3. 
Paul, he, he, he begins, he asks for their blessing and peace, and he, he, he begins to teach a Trinitarian doctrine in this greeting. What he does is he equates the deity of Jesus Christ, so your, some of your translations might say Messiah, Christ means the anointed one, so Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the Messiah, and God the Father. And he does this by placing Lord in front of Jesus Christ um, in, instead of in front of God because he's saying Jesus carries the same authority because, because he, is, he is God as well. So, but also be like, oh, you said it's Trinitarian. I, that's, I, I can count the three. We only hit two. Well, the second half of the book, chapters three through four, we get a whole lot of Holy Spirit doctrine, or three through six, a whole lot of Holy Spirit doctrine. So he didn't forget. He's just saying, he, he's talking about Jesus here particularly. So Paul, he's about to go into this quick, powerful gospel presentation, which these themes follow all the way through the book. And instead of describing at length the false gospel, what he does is he pounds over and over and over what the gospel is. For our evangelism, we don't have to spend all of our time telling the people where they're wrong. We need to spend our time presenting light because light illuminates darkness. Now, you know what? If, if, if you're talking to a Jehovah Witness and they're like, Jesus isn't God, I, I identify that because that's, that, you know, but we, we don't have to spend all of our time just saying these are all the things Americans believe wrong. No, just like present the gospel. So here, here it is, verse four. Who, this is Jesus, who gave himself for our sin to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. So I had this goofy professor, he would ask questions and you know, we would get the right answer, but it wouldn't like be the right, right answer. And he would, he would always obnoxiously say this to, to make his point. Well, you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Get it, syllable? Yeah, old man joke. But it, it made the point, right? Often we, when we're sharing the gospel, we, we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We make the gospel all about us. The gospel is all about God. The, the, this, this shows us right here that Jesus is the one who, who, who rescued us. Jesus, uh, he, Jesus is the one who, who went to the cross for us. God is the one who raised him from the dead. That's in the, the, the doxology above this. And then also it says, why did all this take place? for the glory of God according to the plan of God. So let's, let's look at this kind of in its parts. So first we see that Jesus gave himself up. One of the main themes of this book is Jesus' substitution for us so that we can have eternal life. Look, we are, we're sinners. We, we're, we're broken and Christ is perfect. The reason that we are no longer in bondage to sin and we're set free from the law is because Jesus did it for us. We, we are now victorious because Jesus was victorious. We are no longer captives to sin and we're no longer captivated by the law, but now we get to be captivated by the love of God. 
Second, for our deliverance from this evil age. This, this word deliverance in, in, is translated that way in my Bible, but in many Bibles it's translated as rescue, and I like that word better um, because Christ rescued us from, from us dying in our sins. The, the resurrection of Christ, though, it talks about this present age. When Jesus was resurrected, we moved into a new age in history that we know this world is coming to an end and is going to come to an end once and for all and God's going to set up his new kingdom. This world's gonna go away and he's gonna make a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and there, Revelation 22 says, he himself will dry our tears. There will be no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more pain. And it climaxes, the crescendo of the Bible happens at the very end. That's not the cross, by the way, with the promise being fulfilled that I will be their people and they will, or uh, they will be my people and I will be their God. That's it. And there we will reign with him forever and ever. So we've been rescued and delivered to this new kingdom, not by our power or our will, but because of the free gift of grace that's been offered to us. So the third thing that we're going to look at here is that the cross was God's rescue plan for deliverance for his glory. Like that's, we can't leave out for his glory. That's where we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. It's all about God's glory. Again, I geek out on the book of Ezekiel. And he, he's promising that he's going to send this good shepherd. He's promising he's going to send us this prince. And he says, I'm going to redeem you, not for you, but for me, for my glory. It's all about God's glory. And by him rescuing us, he receives the most glory by people who choose to love him. So, God, it was his plan. Revelation 13, 8 lets us know that Jesus was the lamb slain before the creation of the earth, the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. It was always God's plan to send Christ to save us. This is a beautiful message. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you realize this second death is coming for you, this, this punishment in hell, the Bible says, confess that you're a sinner and call out to Jesus that you would be saved. And what's the Bible tell us? You will be saved. If that's something you want to do this morning, I'm going to be down front later. I'd love to talk to you about that. But you can do it right where you're sitting. There's no magic words. It's just opening your heart to God. So let's, let's look at verses um, 6 through 10. He says this. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. You've heard this word being around church, this anathema. Let him be accursed Verse nine, and we said it before, and so I now say it again. 
If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So in verses 6 through 10, what we see is a call back to the gospel. So why is Paul so mad? That's, that's, that's essentially the question that we're answering in, for this whole letter. Why is Paul so mad? What exactly were these people preaching? They were claiming that you had to believe in Jesus as well as keep the Jewish laws and the Jewish traditions. And also Gentile males must be circumcised so that they could be saved. So they were saying salvation comes by Jesus plus good works. Christians try so hard to appease others who claim Christ, but preach Jesus plus. Jesus plus Mary. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus speaking in tongues. Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus accepting my worldview and my political affiliation. Jesus plus. Jesus plus whatever to be saved. Jesus plus does not add to the gospel. We find from God in the book of Galatians that Jesus plus is a different gospel. Jesus plus, Galatians 2.21 says, nullifies the gospel. It is no longer grace at all. We should not stand passively by when we hear the gospel perverted. Because we know at the end of this life, there's two gates, right? One that leads to heaven and one that leads to hell. And Jesus plus message is putting people on the broad road that leads to destruction. It should make you mad. You should be mad about this. It should make you a lion because we're talking about people's salvation. We're talking about your friends, your, your children. We're talking about your children's children's salvation. And when a church allows someone come, to come in and teach a Jesus plus, when we're quiet about it and try to appease everybody else, what we're doing is we're allowing them to perpetuate this lie and get in the ears of our friends and families. It should make you mad. But you don't have to be a jerk can I say that again? You don't have to be a jerk. But it is unloving to be silent. Let's, let's be clear about that. It's unloving to be silent. Jesus wasn't silent, right? Jesus spoke. God wasn't silent. He spoke to Israel. He spoke through the prophets and the apostles. God is love, and sometimes God corrected and rebuked. It would be unloving for him to do otherwise. It would be unloving for us to stay silent. True love cares enough to confront a false gospel. Proverbs 27, 5 says this, Better is, <clears throat> better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We live in a world so worried about offending someone else that Christians become mute to the truth. 
Let's look at Paul's rebuke in verse 6. Paul says, I'm astonished. He's shocked at what the church has allowed in their midst. He's astonished at how quickly they turn from Jesus. My, my translation says turn, but the, the, the connotation is desertion. I'm, I'm, I'm astonished that you've deserted Christ. It would be like someone on a wall in, 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 in for the military, and they see an approaching army coming, and they just jet. Desertion. This word carries the connotation of allegiance. And what the Galatians had done was a major breach in trust. They had given their allegiance to someone else. They had given their allegiance to appease these ones who sounded right from James with a Jesus plus message. Paul in verse 6 says, You've quickly deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Gospel means, or um, grace means unmerited favor. Here's, a, here's an acronym for you for grace. Um, it means God's, or uh, the acronym is God's riches at Christ's expense. We didn't do anything for grace, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus called the Galatian people to salvation not based on anything that they had done. Jesus' favor was unwarranted and undeserved. We know before Christ... We are in our sin. The Bible explains us as, as wretched and hopeless and, and, and we're enemies to God and we're hostile in our thinking and we're evil indeed. That's how the Bible explains our situation. That's how God explains our situation before Christ. So the Galatian church, this, so you're telling me, church, God, God saved you by grace, not because you're good, but because he's good. He saved you, he rescued you, and now you've moved on to a different message now you're saying that, that you have to be good for God to love you. That's a, that's a different message, right? That's what they were essentially saying. And he says, you're really telling me that the ritual of cutting the flesh, keeping traditions, keeping laws that, that God didn't write, keep, keeping these things that God's already told us that, that we are now free from, that that's really gonna do it for you? No, that is a different gospel. And, and any Jesus plus movement is a desertion from the one who's called you by grace. So verse seven, not, not, not that there's another gospel, but there's uh, some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. Religious pluralism and, and worse, Christian pluralism wants to create a conversation that says all roads lead to God, all roads lead to heaven. And you know, you hear somebody say something, this is how I want to express worship. As a believer, we should tolerate and be kind and respectful to people's religious persuasions, but not doormats. Do you understand me? In the marketplace of ideas, we've got the best one. We've got the right one. We've got the true one. And everyone else doesn't get a voice to the exclusion of God. We are not to compromise. We need to cry out to the Father for a backbone and the boldness of the Holy Spirit to go speak truth in love. That, and that truth in love is the exclusive message of Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Often, 
we want to pick truth or love, right? That what it looks like to pick truth is often like you come across like you don't care. Like the, the person that just wants to win, wants to be heard, and doesn't care if the person actually accepts or rejects what's being told. That's unloving. Uh, it reminds me of a, early on in my marriage, like the first six months, guys, this is just some premarital counseling for you. I felt like I wasn't winning enough arguments. So the guys are laughing because they know they, they've done this. So one day at work, I decided, I don't care what comes next, stake in the ground, I'm winning. Not only did I not win, that did not go well for me, um, I also came off like a jerk, right? So that's, that's, that's not winning hearts and minds. Other people, <laughs> didn't appreciate that chuckle, Jordan. Um, other people come from the posture of being loving and caring about the person and the relationship so much that they love the person to death. And I'm talking about the second death in hell. They're unwilling to confront, they're unwilling to be truthful, and they're unwilling to tell the truth about Jesus. We're to be both speaking the truth in love and truth, right? Both these things have to go together. That's what Christ modeled. Paul then, he, 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 gets, he gets very harsh in his rebuke. And this is what he says in, 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 in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say it again, if anyone preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul was the first one who brought this message to him. And he, if he's saying, look, if I come and tell you something different, if, if the guys that were with me come and tell you something different, we deserve the wrath of God in hell. If an angel comes, he should be destroyed by God. If one of you come and say something else, he deserves to be destroyed by God too. He's, he's, he's putting a curse on them and on anyone who is to say something else. So Paul takes us back to verse one here with reminding us that he was not commissioned by angels, he was not commissioned by men, but he was commissioned by Jesus himself. He received what he took and he taught it to them. And then, then the men who claimed to be from Jesus's half-brother James, these Judaizers, they were saying something different and he was saying, don't listen to them. And hey, to be a fly on the wall. So here's the deal. Reading silently is a new human trick. Um, that was not what people did at that time. To, they would, it was like a, it was like a, the first time that we find people in the church doing this was way after Jesus, but Augustine goes and visits an older guy named Ambrose, and him and another monk were just astonished that the guy would be silent for hours and read, because that's just not what they did. You would call a group of people together, and you would read aloud. There was no reading in silence. You would read aloud, even if you were by yourself. So could you imagine how awkward that was for the Judaizers? Because <laughs> they're in this room, and they're reading this letter aloud everybody's eyes are just cutting over towards them. So, but the desertion hasn't been complete 
going back to that word deserting, it's, it's written in the present tense, so it's not a completed action. He's just saying, if you continue in this, y'all will apostatize, y'all will have left the faith. And think about these, these men. I believe these Judaizers think they believe their message just expanded or completed or complemented Paul's message. They would not have viewed their version of the gospel as heretical. After all, they didn't deny the deity of Christ. They didn't deny the cross. They didn't deny the resurrection. They subtracted nothing from Paul's message. What they did was they just added to it. They just complemented with what seemed right, but which by doing, did away with the free grace message of the gospel. I'm sure they felt hurt by Paul's scathing letter, but Paul was right to send it because he's, perfect, he, he's protecting the church from that perverted message. So what we need to decide this morning, church, is are we gonna be about verse 10 and 11? This, this is our call. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I seeking the approval of my children or my cousins? Am I seeking the approval of my mom or am I seeking the approval of God? Because that's, that's where it gets real. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Skirting the issue does not heal the broken. It does not call the lost to salvation. Skirting the issue allows the perversion of grace to continue. We are to be servants of Christ. And to be with Christ will set you at odds with the world. Amen? We are to preach and preserve the gospel in a world that wishes to pervert it. Why? Because the gospel has the power to mend the brokenhearted. It has the power to call the lost to salvation. And it's got the power to encourage those who are believers to endure for the glory and the hope that's set before us. If you will, stand to your feet and the band's gonna come forward.